0: Well, tonight I had promised you that I was going to speak about the subject of repentance, and so uh, I want you to turn in your Bible to Second Corinthians chapter seven, and I want to read a number of verses. I feel it's important to read the Scripture because God has promised to bless His Word much more than what I say about it. So listen to the Word of God, and I'm reading from the New International Version. Second Corinthians chapter 7, and I'm beginning to read at verse 9. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing. What concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not on account of the one who did the wrong or of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we are encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we are especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. I had boasted to him about you, and and you have not embarrassed me. But just as in everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. And so the reading of God's word. This word repentance is an interesting word because it is very seldom used in today's world. In the four-law booklet that I gave you, there was once the word repentance, and it was in brackets, if you noticed, this morning. And yet, in Luke chapter 24 and verse 47, we read, The message about repentance and forgiveness of sins must be preached to all nations. Do you get that? The message about repentance and forgiveness of sins must be preached to all nations. John the Baptist's message was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is Matthew 3 2. Jesus began his own ministry by saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you find that in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, the day the church was born, was repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. That is Acts 2.38. And Paul's ministry was repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That's Acts chapter 20, verse 21. Well, if if it had that big a part in the beginning of the gospel, why don't we hear it today? It was General William Booth who founded the Salvation Army. He died in 1912, and he said, In the end time, there will be Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, and salvation without the new birth. In other words, people are going to think that they're saved without the new birth. They're going to think they're forgiven without repenting. And they're going to have Christianity without really honoring the person of Jesus Christ. How right he was. It used to be that the, the need for repentance was thundered from the pulpits of evangelical churches and great spiritual awakenings came, revivals came, and people were saved because they renounced sin and turned to the Lord. Today, polite pulpits do not even use the word sin, much less the word repentance, and yet it has a big part in Scripture, and the Bible does use that word over and over again. Seldom do you hear a message today about repentance or even have repentance mentioned in the course of a sermon. In fact, the average presentation of the gospel today, these little booklets that go around, do not mention repentance often. That is so strange because it has such a large place in the Bible. Now, I have a question for you. If there isn't repentance, can there be salvation? Because the Bible ties the two together. Repent and be saved. Can there be without repentance? So I ask you the question, what then is repentance? How does it evidence itself? And I want you to consider that with me under two headings tonight. Can you believe it that I've only got two headings, but I hold a lot of subpoints under those. Amen. Psalm 38 verse 18 says, "For I will declare my iniquity, I will be sorry for my sins." The first heading I want to talk about is definitions, because there are some words that we need to define in order to understand what uh, we're talking about. And the first word is sorrow. And sorrow can represent many things. For example, in the first place, we can speak of selfish sorrow, Uh, not for sin, but because my sin was found out, and I feel so bad because people know that I'm a sinner. I would have continued in it, but I was found out, and so I was caught up short. That's selfish sorrow. The second kind of sorrow is worldly sorrow, where I cry a great number of tears And I'm ashamed of the discomfort and the penalty and loss of face. And I find despair and no way out. And so I'm disrupted and I'm disturbed and I'm dismayed. And often that ends in suicide. That is worldly sorrow. And then there is a third kind of sorrow, and that is godly sorrow. And godly sorrow leads to repentance and the desire for a better life. It literally means to turn around, it means about face. You see, sorrow is not what washes away our sins, sorrow is not repentance. Neither is remorse or self-condemnation or self-reformation. Sorrow does not wash away our sins, neither does penitence, neither does penance. It is the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away sin. And you have that in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, washes away or cleanses us from all sin. So you may have sorrow. That is not repentance. Secondly, I want to define the word repentance because repentance is a resolute turning away from sin. It is a change of purpose. It is an about face. I was going this way. Now suddenly I'm going this way because I realized my sin was against God. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Sorrow is separated from repentance. It is repentance that brings a change of heart. You see, a person may have uh, have sorrow and regrets, but he goes on the same way even though he's feeling sorrow. If he does that, all he had was regret. After the tempest of sorrow is past, they still face in the same direction. If so, all they had was sorrow. Godly sorrow, in other words, whips me around, and I'm never to be found in the same way again. So repentance means a change of view, a change of feelings, and a change of purpose in my life resulting in a permanent change of life. And that is what real conversion shows. Repentance is a, results in a permanent change of life. Now let's go to the third word that I want to define, and that is the word salvation. And we know a lot of verses about this. Uh, You have in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. I love that verse. Hebrews chapter verse eleven, verse six says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. Acts chapter sixteen, verse thirty-one says, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. In Romans chapter five and verse one, you read, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in Romans chapter ten and verse thirteen, we read For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're calling on the name of the Lord for forgiveness and for salvation, you will be saved. Now the question is, when you turn, what do you turn toward? You see, unless you turn toward God, you flounder. The only place where forgiveness changes your life is when you turn toward God and find the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, uh, Paul writes that you turn to God from idols. See, they turn to God, they turn from idols to serve the living and true God. You cannot have salvation without repentance, but you do not get salvation by repentance. Repentance may be only sorrow for your sin, but when you turn in repentance, you are turning toward God. And that's the most important uh, part of what I want to say tonight. Isaiah chapter 55 verse 7 puts it this way. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous man their thoughts and let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will uh, freely pardon. So repentance is turning from sin. Sin is trying to please God my way. Sin is, I think I can handle this myself. We must turn from sin. That's repentance. Faith is trusting Jesus Christ. I turn from my sin, from my trying to do it my way, And I put my faith in Jesus Christ, who is the only way. I have faith then that Jesus Christ is God's Son, the truly sinless one who came from heaven to save me. That sinless one atoned for my sin upon the cross by his death. And this dying and living Christ will give me a brand new life by coming to live within me. It is not my repentance that gives new life. It is the person of Jesus Christ to whom I return when I am sorry for my sin. In John 14, verse 23, Jesus said to them, If any man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our abode with him. Faith is turning to Jesus Christ. Verse 17 of that same chapter, John 14, he says, He dwells with you, and he will be in you. So salvation is being born again. Salvation is being forgiven. Salvation is receiving eternal life. Salvation is a gift that is received by faith. And I've so often used the illustration I would hand a person that I was talking to my Bible and said, "I'm, I'm going to give you this as a gift. When is it yours? Well, they said, when you gave it to me. No, I said, I still have it. When is it yours? Well, they finally get the point. They have to reach out and take it. And the forgiveness of God is exactly the same way. I have to reach out and take it. And when I receive Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, I have reached out to take it. So let's review the definitions. Sorrow leads to repentance. Repentance leads me to faith, because when I turn, where am I going to turn? And the only place where I can find forgiveness is in Jesus Christ, and faith then leads to salvation. So that's the beginning. Those are the definitions. Now for the second part of my message, which is the description. How do you know you have repented? And I want you to notice that verse 11 in the passage that I read gives the full definition of of what it means to repent. It gives a description in verse 11 of godly sorrow. These are the evidences that repentance has taken place. Was Paul's purpose in writing this to give a clear definition of repentance? I'm not sure that that's what his purpose was, but that's what he did. And so you have these various words that point out what exactly repentance is. They sorrowed after a godly manner, verse 11. What was the result? Now, I'm going to use the words out of the King James Bible. And uh, some of the newer versions, in, in fact, the NIV uses different words. But I'm going to use the words out of the King James Bible that give these definitions and descriptions. And the first word is carefulness. What is carefulness? This is a part of repentance. It shows what repentance is. First, it's carefulness. That means a watchful interest. It means an earnestness. It is the opposite of indifference and neglect. That is what carefulness means. You see, the people in Corinth had allowed a very grievous sin to pass unnoticed. They just turned the other way and said, it's not my responsibility, and they left it there. The first effect of repentance was an earnest concern and desire to have the evil corrected, and that's the opposite of indifference. So they became careful. They became concerned, in other words. And deep concern takes the place of unconcern. So the very first word that fully describes repentance is carefulness. Now the second word is the word clearing. Clearing. And that means it an eagerness to clear up whatever was wrong. In the Greek, the word is apologia. And we get from that our English word apology. You see, they came to the place where they were earnestly apologizing in their hearts for the sin that they had left unjudged. They said, we were wrong. We should have dealt with this sin because it was destroying the testimony of the church. And so they acknowledged the sin and sought the forgiveness. Clearing. An eagerness to clear up so that there, there's no doubt about where we stand. We stand firmly where the God, word of God calls us to. The third word is the word indignation. And that's the King James word again. Originally, the word indignation meant physical pain. In other words, they were annoyed... And they were vexed, and their stomachs nodded when they realized what they had allowed. You know how it is when you're driving, and you have a real close call on the highway, and suddenly your stomach contracts, and and your heart begins to beat? That's what this word indignation means. They had sinned in overlooking the grievousness of the moral sin and they were angry at themselves. They actually hated themselves that they had allowed to go on what was going on. And it reminds me of Job chapter 42 and verse 6. After Job had defended himself before God, he, when he saw the greatness and goodness of God, he said, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. So there was indignation. That is they were vexed and angry at themselves because they had not dealt with this sin before. Now, there's a fourth word, and that is the word fear. In the Greek, the word is phobos, which, from which we get our word phobia. The NIV uses the word alarm. And that's uh, that's a pretty good word here. In other words, they suddenly became aware of the divine wrath. They suddenly became aware of their precarious position that they were going to be under the judgment of God because they had neglected to deal with sin in the congregation and have a pure church. The result was that they fled to God in confession so that they could walk before him in carefulness. And then there's a fifth word. And that fifth word is the word vehement desire. It means an earnest desire or a longing to correct the sin. And walk right before God. To be always open for inspection. Lord, double check me today. I want to go the right way. I'm open for inspection. To be free from contamination. They earnestly desired to embrace the apostle whom they offended. And so they, they said, we've been wrong." in trying to push Paul away because he was trying to correct us. And so they embraced him and brought him back in. Fear or vehement desire, a longing to correct the sin and walk in righteousness. Psalm 84 verse 2 says, "'My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. "'My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God.'" And a person who really walks with God is going to come to that place where they cry out for God to speak to them and lead them in their lives. Now, the sixth word that you have is the word zeal. In other words, with real zest, they move to correct the evil and discipline the offender and correct their negligence. And those are three very important things. They wanted to correct the evil. They wanted to discipline the person who was openly sinning. And they wanted to correct their own negligence that they had let it go without a thought. They could not be stopped. They did this with enthusiasm, not just because they had to. They, with great zeal, set about to make things right between them and God. Now we come to the seventh, and this is the last word. The seventh word is the word revenge. Now, I frankly, I, uh, I've given you the King James word, but I believe the The word vindication explains better what we're talking about. Because God is not in the business of avenging. He is in the business of vindicating those who turn to him. It means readiness to see justice done. You see, the sin had to be dealt with, and the offender had to be disciplined. There had to be a sense of justice. God had to be satisfied and the tarnish removed from his name. You know, every once in a while, somebody vandalizes a statue of some importance somewhere. Maybe throws paint on it. And you know how diligently the people go and they take take care of all of those stains and paint and whatever is on that statue. So it's pristine and clean and correct. That's the very same idea here. We need to vindicate the name of God. God stands for holiness. And since the church has allowed sin to go unjudged, then we need to to vindicate the name of God and say this church stands for righteousness of life among the people of God. In other words, God had to be satisfied with their reaction. And Paul says in verse 11, in all these ways, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. And I think that's such an important statement. After he talks about these seven elements that that describe what repentance is, then he says, you have proved yourself to be clear in this matter. There was no complicity, there was no delay. They faced it and they turned in another direction. And as a church, they were in the position now to move forward for God. So, these, therefore, are the elements of repentance. So, let me ask you a question. When you turned to the Lord, did you feel an urgent concern? Did you feel like apologizing to God for the way you'd acted? Did you have a personal hatred of yourself for how you had sinned against God? Did you have a fear of God's judgment because you were a sinner? Did you have an earnest desire to do right Did you have a zeal to take care of it now? Did you have a desire to vindicate God's name and say, I want to live in a way that is going to honor God with every part of my life? Did you have a desire to clear God's name that you had marred by your sinful way of life and indifference to him? You see, you cannot atone for your sin, but when you feel this way, those seven things that I've described, then God is ready to transform your life. And 1 John, or rather, John chapter 1, and verse 12 says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God, even those that believe in his name. Now, I want you to understand this. I'm not demanding that every one of you have the same identical experience, because no two of us are the same. The great British preacher Alexander McLaren wrote it this way, We have no right to ask, and much harm has been done, by asking for an impossible uniformity of religious experience any more than we have the right to expect that all voices shall be pitched in one key or all plants flower in the same month or all, uh, or after the same fashion. And he goes on to describe various things like that. So we don't have any right to say that Your experience has to be identical to mine. But what I am saying is that there needs to be a genuine sense of sorrow and turning in another direction. And if we have not turned in another direction, then we're not saved. Because we turn from going our way to the Lord Jesus Christ and go his way, and that is repentance and salvation. And so I ask of you, have you experienced repentance in your own life? Have these emotions that I have mentioned surged through you? Have you found forgiveness? Are you sure in your heart that God has forgiven you? And do you know it? Because you know that the scripture says, These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may keep on believing in the name of the Son of God. If you do not feel you have actually repented and turned from sin to the Savior, then you need to do it today and ask him to convict you and you need to find his salvation You see, when we break his law, it is more than crime, it is more than fault, it is more than transgression, it is more than wrong, it is sin, and sin keeps us from heaven. But God is in the business of forgiving sin, and if you seek forgiveness, he will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I'm going to close with a little story that has really impressed me. Many years ago, there were two brothers who were convicted of stealing sheep. In accordance with the brutal punishment of the day in which they lived, they were branded on their foreheads with the words ST, the letters -S 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 "S." T, which meant sheep stealer. One of the brothers was unable to bear the shame and the stigma, and he tried to bury himself in a foreign land. But men would ask him about the letters that had been branded onto his brow, S-T, and he couldn't handle it anymore. And so he wandered from land to land, from place to place, and at length full of bitterness, he died and was buried in a forgotten grave. The other brother, who had repented of his misdeed, did not go away from home. He said to himself, I can't turn away from the fact that I was a sheep stealer. But here I will remain, and I will win back the respect of my neighbors and myself. And as the years passed by, he established a reputation for respectability and integrity and serving God. After many years had passed, one day there was a stranger who came into town, And he saw the old man with those letters, ST, branded in his forehead. And so he went to one of the natives and and said, uh, Tell me, why does he have ST on his forehead, and what does it mean? And the native said, You know, it happened a long time ago, a lot of years ago, and I don't remember the details very much but I think it stands for saint. You see, by his repentance and turning toward God and serving the Lord, the reputation changed from sheep stealer to saint. And that is real repentance and that is real forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, this is a heavy definition that we've given to this word repentance. There is so much involved in it, and I pray that you will give us the ability to understand the depth of it and how it needs to reflect our own experience of turning from sin and self from the tarnishing of your name to honoring the name of Jesus Christ by a life that has been washed in his blood and totally forgiven. Lord, if there's someone here tonight who needs to turn to you from a past life that has plagued them, give them the grace and the courage to do it tonight, to make that turn to Jesus who is the only way and the truth and the life. And so I pray that you will take these words that have been spoken and make them a blessing to every person here. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, we're going to have a moment of invitation. If you desire to receive Christ as your personal Savior, Or to confess that before other people, I invite you to step forward and just admit that he is everything in your life and confess your need to him. Would you come? Or if you have been feeling you wanted to be a part of the membership of this church, I invite you to come while we sing and uh, state your desire to be part of the church family here. Let's stand together.